एक मिनट रुक जाओ रेडी होने दो चलो ये कर लेते हैं टेलीविजन some part of the money that you're paying for that product is actually going towards the cost of freight forwarding of that product a lot of products we use in our daily life actually reach india through a shipping route on a container and this was something we were all made painfully aware of during the evergrande crisis despite being such a massive industry in fact it's projected to hit 200 billion dollars globally soon it is largely an unorganized sector in india where uh, mom and pop operators uh, who my guest calls as briefcase wala agent uh, run the show these agents essentially manage the requirements of their customers uh, who are exporting or importing out of their briefcase and this is where a company like freightwala comes in to make this whole process digital and seamless Freightwala was founded by Sanjay Bhatia who despite coming from a business family never thought that he would end up being an entrepreneur he was all set for a career in the vc space when the inspiration to start up hit him here sanjay talking about his journey so what was the thesis then that you started with like you know you would have quit that job with some original thesis in mind what was that the thesis was actually very simple right so if you look at um uh importers and exporters in india today right and you look at the average state of the of india's logistics industry i mean even if you just try to shift houses right you've gotten some flavor of how organized the logistics players are right I mean, and you you know how like painful it can be to interact with them now imagine as an importer and exporter you're doing some fairly complicated work lots of documents to be filed you have to tell you know file documents with customs saying okay i'm going to export such and such good uh you have to coordinate with also the the truck owner to get your cargo to the port the ship owner to load your cargo on the ship etc etc i mean i'm not saying it's like rocket science but it's a fairly complicated process hmm. lots of moving pieces lots of moving pieces and the average quality of you know logistics provider you have service provider you have to connect all of these services for you is not up to the mark right um they the, the existing providers are uh there's about you know the estimates vary for uh, or you know what we would call a freight forwarder which is the person who will connect all of these pieces for you estimates vary then it could be anything from you know i i think the lower bound of estimates i've heard of is that there's at least 15000 freight forwarders in india right now and on the upper end i've heard uh, you know 27000 so this is an incredibly fragmented market and if you ever go into you know one of their offices especially like some of the relatively small guys and you see the way they operate we have a saying in the industry you know like oh he's a suitcase operator what does a suitcase operator means he has a suitcase with documents and he just bounces around and gets the work done no no office no staff nothing you know now that's obviously a extreme case i'm not saying everyone is like that but 
you know the fact that this term even exists is troubling you know like that can say something about the industry so th- this would have been like say the travel industry where you had tens of thousands of travel agencies pre make my trip like you know where most of the people would buy uh, from a travel agent who would maybe have one guy on ground in the destination who would make a package or would have a separate arrangement for bus separate for plane and all that so so this industry is something akin to what the travel industry used to be yeah you can say it's similar but there's one key difference here right so if you think of the travel industry like just think of uh, what the demand side of it looks like so you have let's say a nation of a billion people out of which maybe 100 million are using planes right or maybe 50 million i don't know the exact number right now the difference between uh, uh, the most active user you know someone who's taking maybe 20 flights a year and the one of the least active users maybe one flight a year right or, or maybe one flight in two years that scale difference is only about you know depending on how we calculate you know 20 to 40x but in imports and exports think of the smallest company and the largest company you know smallest company might do like let's say one shipment per month right and the largest company might be doing 5000 shipments a month and there are companies who do even more than that so the degree of fragmentation of demand over here and the recurring nature of the jobs is the two biggest differences between a standard make my trip model which is like a you know a a simple marketplace platform where you just get connected with the airline and and that's it you know then make my trip's job is done compared with our business where the guy who is doing 5000 shipments a month is not going to listen to you when you you know if you go and tell him hey here's a platform just book whatever you feel like he'll say no i want special service you want my 5000 shipments you do something extra for me Mm-hmm. which is what these uh, freight forwarding agencies would be doing like they, essentially they provide that personalized high touch kind of a service of taking care of uh, all the handoffs uh, as being a single point of contact to manage all the handoffs that's the second i think the second part of it which i uh, was going to touch upon which is that you know also given the nature of uh, the business where you have multiple touch points you need someone who's actually going to ensure that it's seamless right so yeah effectively these two things make for a a different set of dynamics than a, a make my trip now is it possible that a make my trip could exist in our industry yes but then you are going for a certain layer of the market right you're going for the very ad hoc shipment layer the people whose demand is very irregular who don't want a dedicated provider right and you can go after this and it's fine but it's just not a very large chunk of the market because you then start applying the pareto rule or the 80/20 rule and say that 80% of the volumes are going to be held with 20% of the most regular clientele you can build that and it will be a business but you know how big can it get what are the various points of handoffs like who are the various players whom a freight forwarding agency bundles like a freight forwarding agency is essentially a bundler right so what all is he bundling that let's say you're an exporter let's say your factory is in gujarat and your buyer is in london and you're only targeting exporters or uh, importers also we mostly do exporters okay got it now between the exporter and the overseas buyer they'll agree on how to split up the lo- responsibility of logistics and the most typical way of splitting it is the the guy in london will tell the indian supplier okay you deliver it till london port and then i'll take care of it from here okay so that's called a cif shipment 
what is cif a uh, cost insurance and freight so the guy so the overseas buyer is paying for the cost of the goods uh, you know add some insurance into it and the freight component right or the logistics component this is one of the most common ways there are many different ways of splitting the responsibility but this is one of the most common ways now in this the indian exporter's responsibility is to deliver till london so his factory is in gujarat and he basically needs three basic services to be completed so he can deliver it to london right he needs a truck to get the cargo from gujarat down to some seaport maybe he'll go to hazira port in gujarat maybe he'll come to navashiva port in bombay then at the port customs clearance is required because you need to file all the documents uh, with the government telling them what you're exporting maybe you get some incentives for your exports maybe not and the third part is the freight the ocean freight so you need to organize the cargo uh, being loaded on the ship and then take the ship going from let's say mumbai port to london and 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 that is like a, you know your typical three services that a exporter would require uh and all of these services can be bundled under freight forwarder uh, again i'm saying many different ways you can split it up if the guy could even the, the overseas buyer could even say that no i'm not going to do anything you deliver until my door and then you know the freight forwarder can help uh, take care of that also it's common to have door to door service but it's not a prevalent form of uh, operating in the industry Hmm. Got it. Okay. So, uh, and what was your thesis? Uh, so, you were talking specifically about the business model you selected. You know, recognizing that uh, the 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 nature of demand of the industry, right, where uh, there is a certain section of uh, the the eighty twenty rule, right? There is a certain section of uh, clients who control a vast majority of the overall uh, trade. Uh, we started thinking, like, okay, you know, who are the people who number one. will be okay with um, quality relatively standardized service and two who still have sufficient uh, you know uh, volumes that they can be that they find that to be you know they find international logistics to be a real challenge and what we narrowed down was on the sme indian exporters who are doing a like you know anywhere between you know let's say uh, you know five shipments a month going up to a few hundred shipments a month you know so the, the guys who are doing like the 5000 plus our uh, take on that is you know they they pretty much they've been dealing with this uh, the the hassles of so they would have an in-house team already like they would already have in-house expertise to handle exactly they've been dealing with these hassles and challenges for a long time so they've got some you know good solution figured out and people below that scale below our band are just so irregular that they don't actually even care enough you know to to look out for a better way of doing things so that's how we ended up choosing these guys and what we are offering to them is basically a far more efficient standard relatively standardized service delivered through automation and technology right so what is the main problem when you have a suitcase operator in our industry is that he's doing everything manually It's a fairly complicated process. Again, not rocket science, but fairly complicated. And if you're doing a complicated process completely manually without any technology or process sophistication, you will make mistakes, guaranteed, right? And every mistake that he makes ultimately leads to either a cargo delay or a cost escalation for the exporter. In order to solve for this, we've got our, you know, we figured out our demand. People who have sufficient volumes but not quite the scale to build do everything in house. And our solution is automated service offering 
which minimizes the hassles of international logistics, ultimately delivering to them better on-time performance, right, of their cargo movements at a lower overall cost of logistics by cutting out the incidences of those errors in the process. So, and when did your uh, go-to market happen? Like, when did you launch the solution? Like, yeah, Jan two thousand seventeen. You would have essentially gone to these SME exporters and told them that we are a better freight forwarding agency as compared to the traditional option because we are digital. That that would have been your pitch, right? Like, yeah. Okay. And and how did you uh, digitize the process? Like, you know, what, what what were the things that you did to make it more digital? Okay. So on the process itself, you know, there's, you can think of it as broken up into two parts, right? So there's your pre-shipment tools, right? For uh, getting uh, further efficiencies. And then there's your post-shipment tools, which is basically mostly related to execution and tracking. So on the pre-shipment side, you know, one thing you have to recognize, and this I think will sound similar to make my trip, uh, but you know, I sort of use that analogy with a, 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 you know, with a bit of a 10 foot pole, like it sounds similar, but it's not exactly the same. Um, so on that side, we have a, like a, a platform where you can come in, type up your requirements, right? Let's say you have cargo moving from Surat to London, you know, using the same example. Now there's multiple different route options you can take, right? So you can, like I said, you can either bring the cargo down to Navashiva port near Mumbai, or you can take it to Hazira port in the south of Gujarat. And each of those different ports, you know, take, getting it there itself comes with different costs and different, uh, you know, timelines. Then at each of the different ports, you have different shipping line options. So different ships will carry it to London. Some of them may go direct, some of them may go indirect. You know, in this particular example, everything goes direct, but that's not necessarily the case. You know, it depends where exactly you're looking to move your cargo. And each of the ships also have different transit times, you know, different costs associated with it, et cetera, et cetera. So when you are actually sitting there as a, you know, a SME exporter, you don't actually have the visibility into all of these things. If you are a very, very dedicated exporter who has one buyer or let's say a handful of buyers in just a few different countries, then you have a good sense, but you still don't have exact information. If you are the typical SME who's, you know, getting a, you know, new orders from different places every now and then, you need to go and figure out all of these details, right? So we've got like this platform, you type up your requirements, you hit enter, and then all of the different route options with the associated costs, the schedules, the transit times, everything is uh, delivered to you, okay? So that's your pre-shipment uh, side of things. Got it, got it. So, so this is like the way on Make My Trip, you can put your from and to and it will show you options like with one stop in between with zero stops and how many hours travel time, what cost and stuff. Got it. Okay. Yeah, again, right. It's it's similar. But then what happens thereafter is, you know, like clients will typically have, uh, you know, some follow up questions or they will want to take care of a few certain details or whatever. And that's where like the, the service aspect kicks in, right? So then, you know, they have someone dedicated who will walk them through all of their different options. You know, the guys on our team who are, you know, taking care of um, making sure their shipments go smoothly, then they'll get involved and then, you know, we'll figure out the right option for them. And then it moves forward to like the, the execution side, you know, once everything is confirmed. So how does things get confirmed? Do they pay something upfront? Like, no, no, no. When does a lead become a customer? A lead becomes a customer basically when we invoice them. I mean, they don't have to pay anything upfront, right? So uh, the idea again over here is that um, we want to, we're not in it for the transaction. We're in it for the, the client 
most exporters, again, whether meaty chunk of the market have regular business. Every month they have multiple transactions. So, Okay, so so there's a monthly settlement kind of a thing which happens. Like the industry norm is essentially not upfront, but like a monthly. That's like the industry norm, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, so then when we come to the down to the execution side of things, right? So then this is where really I feel like uh, what we've really focused on as a company really begins to shine, right? So, you know, as I was mentioning to you earlier, we've put a lot of efforts into automating the process recognizing that it is the manual errors that ultimately cause all of the frustration for the clients, you know? So if we can reduce the incidences of those manual errors, we know the clients are going to be happy and they're going to come back for repeat business. And as we get repeat business from, you know, multiple like mid-sized, you know, clientele, you know, these SME clientele of reasonable scale, then we're going to build up our scales to such a degree that we're going to build a very large and profitable company. So, Our focus was on actually getting into the nitty gritties of the process, you know, with a very fine tooth comb, trying to figure out where typically the process fails, right? When you're talking about regular operations and then seeing what sort of technology interventions and automations can be brought into it to close those gaps and ultimately give the clients the sort of service that they desire, you know, in terms of transparency of information, in terms of problem solving, in terms of proactive issue identification, because, you know, I mean, logistics ultimately is a, is a fairly messy business. You know, things do go wrong. Sometimes it goes wrong for no one's fault whatsoever. You know? If you remember, I mean, I think last year in the middle of the first lockdown, the, the cyclone that came to Bombay literally knocked over one of the cranes at the port. I mean, what are you going to do? All all of the efficiencies and planning of the world is not going to stop the the cyclone from doing that. But then you need to start taking corrective actions very quickly, right? And that's where the technology begins to shine. Because if you're dealing with someone offline, this guy is not doing any tracking work whatsoever, right? He has no idea when things are going wrong. And what I have seen, you know, in like Indian clients most complain about is that when something goes wrong, the, the logistics provider does, is not the one telling them that something's gone wrong. They find out from the overseas buyer who is tracking all of the cargo. And he'll say that, look, the cargo was supposed to arrive on the 1st of November, but now it, it, you know, it's going to arrive on the 15th of November and you didn't even inform me. Well, that's what the overseas buyer will say because you know, they're used to very, a different degree of professionalism. Then the Indian exporter will get really pissed off. He'll say, shit, I'm losing reputation in front of my buyer. And he'll pick up his logistics provider and start yelling at him. Why didn't you tell me? I, I mean, Baba, how is he going to tell you? He doesn't know only it's happening, right? But he doesn't have that, that he's not built those systems to take care of those problems. Yeah, I mean, in, in a way, you know, you can you can boil down my motivation for all of this to, uh, to uh, a simple line, you know, like I want to help make the whole Make in India campaign a reality because I recognize that, you know, there's many things that we can improve on. And one of them is certainly the quality of India's uh, logistics providers. Because if you have a logistics provider who's not giving you quality information and you're an exporter and you have dreams of doing building a large export business, you can't. You can't do it unless you get someone who's giving you quality information so that your buyer is not the one getting pissed off with you. That's ultimately what this is all about. So that's like a big driving factor for me. I want to make Indian exporters win. Amazing. Tell me about uh, 
post uh, so one is the onboarding experience which you have digitized then once they get onboarded then what is the automation or the digitization that's happening there like your responsibility would start from the trucking right like getting the stuff loaded on a truck and transported to a port so so does that get digitized or how does the custom clearance part get digitized like tell me about all these steps like how you are digitizing them you know we recognize that uh, logistics is a process driven industry right so step a only once it's completed can you move to step b and then step c and then step d now in international logistics it starts getting quite complicated because you have two parallel streams that you have to work on one is the physical movement of the cargo so let's say it's coming down from surat to uh, navashiva port in mumbai and you have the documentation work stream which is a separate one that can happen in parallel whilst the cargo is moving and they interface with each other so you can't prepare certain documents until the cargo reaches a certain physical location you know and vice versa so what we basically what we've done is we we've identified this entire work stream that's there right and all of the interfacing points and all of the contingencies and we've started automating the flow of the shipment our software itself will start flagging the next steps that need to be done by the you know by the team and for the client as well so if let's say like the client has to submit a document without which the cargo is not going to be loaded on the ship now when you have a offline provider this guy needs to keep track of whether the document is received or not yeah he needs to send a whatsapp message or something and yeah or a email or a phone call and if this guy is busy you know i've actually seen cases where you know the guy says oh no no my kid fell down in school i had to rush to the school to pick him up and take him to the doctor and because of that you know there some document filing wasn't done and the cargo was delayed at the port for one week you know i mean i'm not blaming this guy but like these are the realities of the you know of dealing of doing business so when these situations happen you know if this guy is not doing the work because of whatever reason you know valid or non valid reason ultimately is the exporter cargo that stuck but for us the software is the one who identifies what needs to be done when it needs to be done by which shipments are becoming critical that if it's not done like asap there's going to be extra charges or delays that are going to incur and it is the one that is coordinating all of the different actions of all of the different parties to make sure that this cargo is ultimately loaded on the intended ship that it was supposed to be loaded on because the other thing about ship uh, schedules is that you know for most locations you only get one ship a week from uh, india right so if you miss it your cargo is delayed by 7 days now this is not a hard rule there are locations that are serviced more than once a week but you know as the rule of thumb you can just basically say that if you miss it it's delayed for 7 days right okay and uh, but this information uh, still gets fed in manually like whether it was loaded or not no so that's that's the back end integrations that we've done that pulls all of this information from the different systems so what are the systems you have integrated with like to to pull in information the port systems container tracking systems container tracking system is what it's it's by the ship or what what does that refer to it depends yeah so the shipping line could have it separately um and then you could have like you know separate providers for that information as well but container typically refers to on the ship like the container on the ship so tracking that container tracking is uh, is more than just the ship right so the vessel tracking is tracking the ship itself but the container tracking can be like you know supposing you're lo- loading it on the, on the railways 
right? So it's coming from Delhi to Mumbai. You know, you can have, you have RFID tags along that entire route as well, which will tag the container and say that, okay, the container has now passed Bhopal, you know, and it's... Mm-hmm. So there are container companies who provide you this information, like like container uh, is like this whole container service is run by a separate company or by the shipping company? There are two separate companies that run this, right? So one will, for the domestic side, you got to interface with a different set of providers, you know, who have the physical infrastructure on land. And for the ocean side of things, uh, you know, the shipping line can sometimes give you the land uh, tracking as well, but not always. Uh, mostly they you will get ocean tracking from them. And then not all shipping lines have container tracking period. So then you have to start tracking the ship itself. And if you want to, if you're getting conflicting information, then you need a tiebreaker. That's where the port systems come in. The data that's available right now, it's uh, it's all there in silos. Is all of these guys have different like little pieces of data, but uh, we found that you know quite often they they conflict with each other because the quality of data is good but not hundred percent. So then you need to have like you need to overlay your tracking solutions with your own business intelligence, you know, to figure out what exactly is the status of that shipment at any given point in time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, these containers are uh, owned by whom are there companies which own containers and they lease it out to ships or railroads or whatever or uh, do ships shipping companies own their containers or the shipping companies typically will give the container to you how do they get it they lease it from someone else okay so they would be like these containers available in every city and where you either rent the whole container or a part of the container and you rent it from point A to point B that point A again so like we gave that example from Gujarat to UK for example so you would rent a container from Gujarat to UK and utilize it for uh, getting your stuff there or you would rent it partly like that could also happen that could also happen so if you want to do a full container rental right uh, that's like your standard full container load shipment which is what most reasonable scale uh, exporters have of course you know, it depends industry to industry. Some industries have uh, cargo, which is uh, not very voluminous. Like it's not very big. Like jewelry. Yeah, like jewelry. Jewelry will go air freight, but something like that. You know, where uh, like let's say um, electronics and cell phones, right? If you're ordering a small batch, then you don't need the whole container because, you know, you'll get like 50 lakhs of goods in, in a very small amount of, yeah, like few hundred kilos of cargo. So they'll book a space inside a container. Um, but yeah, so you can do that. That is a different set of uh, service providers you have to deal with. Uh, full container loads is a different set of service providers. Air freight is a different set of service providers. So the complications ramp up pretty quickly. Hmm. Yeah, so and, and you are integrated like like you are bundling all of these. You are bundling the container providers, the the truck which will carry the container. So there'll be a truck on which the container gets loaded, and the truck takes that to the port. So that also you bundle in and okay, got it. Yeah, right now we're doing all ocean freight uh, services. Okay. And uh, how do you know if it cleared the custom or not? Again, there's a way to get that data. Yeah, the customs uh, site is called IceGate. So how much of this is uh, still manual work? Like, do you need people on the ground in the custom office to get the files passed? Like, I'm just picturing like a government office where there is somebody who's smoothening the way for the file. Is that what happens or? Well, honestly, much, much less than you imagine. 
right i think uh, what is really commendable is the way that uh, the customs uh, department has moved a lot of these processes online and made it fairly seamless so um you know the those cases that you're talking about are only if you have a, a specific hardcore incentive for someone to smooth things over okay 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 so uh, but the document submission all of that is online so someone can upload the document to your platform and then you will further upload it to the customs authority through a direct integration and yeah all of the document submission now i think pretty much uh, throughout the chain is uh, is pretty much online you know i'm i'm sure in, in certain odd cases there are uh, instances where you have to go and make physical submissions and do some you know physical follow up work but those are you know specialized and sensitive cargoes um which is not the majority of the industry and uh, how is the how do the commercials work in this industry like is there a cost plus margin or is there like a flat amount that you charge and there is a markup inside that or like how, how does it work yeah so we work on a, a sort of flat fee basis uh, that also helps in establishing the transparency with the end client which is something that we are very you know uh, particular about as a company you know transparency of information flow transparency of pricing transparency of when there is a problem transparency of how it can be solved um we really recognize that we are you know ultimately custodians of someone else's cargo and uh, key enablers uh, you know in their growth or if you are not doing a good job then you know there's stagnation as well hmm yeah so w- what what does that mean flat fees like if someone says i want to move something from gujarat to uk then you'll say okay this is the cost of transportation plus this is our flat fees yeah 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 so it's flat fee per service uh, used so uh, if you're doing uh, customs clearance and trucking and ocean freight then it's uh, you know the same flat fee multiplied by 3 per service got it and typically people will like do online payments or like this send a check to you or like how does that operate yeah bank transfers again we're dealing in the in that sort of scale of company where uh, you know things are regimented and process driven so you can consider us to be a b2b business um we don't focus on that very very tiny type, uh, type of company you know like i said the, the guys who have very ad hoc shipments so the ones who have regular shipments have uh, you know their regular processes against it and typically that involves bank transfer let's talk about your uh, uh, funding journey so you know you you said you launched it in january 2016 right 2017 2017 january 2017 okay so uh, and when did you raise your first round of funds yeah first round of funds was raised uh, may 2018 yeah so that's the little over uh, a year's uh, bootstrapping um that was from k capital who you know they i think they've got some pretty good investments uh, across the country i i think their most uh, notable recent one which is done really well is zetworks because we're hoping to follow in their footsteps soon but other than that you know k capital also has other good companies like uh, healthcart uh, inmobi mintra etc so by that time by may 2018 what uh, had been like your like how big had you become like what were the number of transactions happening or what was your revenue run rate by that time like give me an idea of the growth from you know jan 2017 till that fundraise round yeah but from jan 2017 to about uh, may 2018 we grew about 30x 
in in what in what term like in the top line in the in a number of shipments okay how many shipments were you doing then like may 2018 so by may 2018 we were doing about 30 shipments a month roughly right and these are for again like those b2b type clients um, uh, we are just about like you know gotten established uh, in a way and uh, and then we close the round with them and then obviously you know the, the, the money that comes in really allows you to turbo charge so hmm. how much did you raise in that round it was about uh, 800k us dollars so if you're looking at inr it's about 5 and a half crores and uh, yeah so you were telling me how you used those funds yeah so i mean the funds basically went into uh, ramping up the team you know so there was um, logistics professionals in to take care of uh, operations started ramping up the technology team for all of the technology development and all of like the features that we had planned uh, we got a sales team together to start driving the business one thing that was, is noteworthy about that time is how um, you know nascent the startup ecosystem in india was um there was a lot of uh, different sort of you know additional forms of financing that we were looking out for um scaling a logistics business especially freight forwarding business is not necessarily like very equity heavy why is that like well i mean there's two forms of uh, i mean okay think of it this way right so you're a freight forwarding business your uh, role is to coordinate the movement of cargo right you don't actually own any of the assets your main expenses is building up your technology platform now you can plow as much money as you want into that you know depending on your plan but ultimately it's not the sort of business that requires you know like 50 million dollars like if you're starting like for example a, a neo bank or something you know you just need a huge amount of upfront capital so you know freight forwarding is just not that kind of business but where do you need the money right so let's say uh since it's a b2b transaction you need uh, you know your clients might ask for some amount of credit you know and back to back you may or may not get that credit from your suppliers so you additionally need working capital financing right and if you have your working capital financing then you know you're you're pretty sorted you know your growth is fairly unlimited um and for us the in in 2018 you know all of these venture debt funds and all of these guys like we were just coming up you know uh nbfcs didn't really look at uh, startups whatsoever uh, banks to forget about it <laughs> um so you know that that entire piece of the business uh, or or ecosystem was uh, quite nascent so that was something that you know we look back on and and, and now when we see where we are today and you know what sort of services and uh, facilities we are able to arrange for in terms of different forms of financing i think like the last few years i've seen incredible growth on that side of the uh, startup ecosystem which is really commendable you know 3 years such a big turnaround it's amazing so the the money uh, was deployed for uh, the those those three main areas and then of course as i mentioned you know a little bit went towards working capital as well what has been the growth since then you know since you raised that uh, that first fundraise in may of 2018 yeah i mean it's it's been pretty incredible you know so as of right now i think we have more than 400 clients who are uh, you know uh, onboarded with us uh, regularly interacting you know teams also grown like exceptionally well so i think we've grown 10x we we were at that time you know barely 8 9 people as a company we're right now you know close to 
and you know still ramping up uh, there's a lot of vacancies that we're looking to close and uh, you know along with that also i would say like the size of the clientele that we're able to approach is also getting larger you know i think we're getting recognition now from some proper you know large conglomerates for the work that we're able to do and rather than us approach them you know they're beginning to approach us uh, which is very heartening yeah Hmm. Hmm. Okay. What is your uh, customer acquisition strategy? Like, is it like cold emails, cold calling, and stuff like that, or like? Uh, no. So, in terms of customer acquisition strategy, you know, we're very focused on who are the sorts of uh, industries and clientele who would two things: one, most struggling with the current state of the industry, right, and therefore, number two, the most amenable to uh, you know changing the the way that they currently operate and on those fronts we basically identified you know um, industrial goods uh, chemicals furniture th- those sorts of companies you know your sort of uh, semi finished and finished goods companies who are the most in need of an upgrade in the way that they currently operate now within that also the, obviously we have uh, further uh, qualification criteria you know um it depends on the team size it depends on how many people that the uh client has who are who is operating logistics like for example i remember i once we had once gone to this chemicals company who you know in that sense sort of fits our bucket but uh, when we asked them you know how many people they have operating their logistics even though they weren't a very large company they they said they have 12 people 12 is a phenomenally large number of people to operate logistics and we basically figured out like this guy is not going to be like very interested you know and, and we dropped him pretty soon like we stopped the pursuit um so there's a, we have a fairly long list of uh, qualification criteria but ultimately it comes down to you know just few segments few industries that we've identified as being the most uh, amenable to an upgrading because of you know the the way that they currently operate hmm. uh, uh, but how do you acquire them yeah it's a mix so we have uh, we have inbound clientele as well you know through all of our sort of digital marketing and uh, pr efforts and etc uh, etc et uh, brand building efforts so you know people who are looking for something better will find us you know they'll get in touch with us they'll, they'll sign up on our platform and then we'll start engaging with them uh, and then for you know certain targeted industries where we see a very strong fit we will go out and approach them as well okay and what is your pitch to a company essentially it's like transparency or is there also a price advantage there is a price advantage uh the price advantage itself will improve as we ourselves scale up uh, because then we start getting better you know operating efficiency ourselves which we can then pass on to the clientele uh, but our primary pitch right now is improving the way that their current logistics is is functioning right like all of the hassles and the daily headaches that they take when trying to move cargo across borders we are basically stepping in there and saying hey if you use us the technology reduces the hassles we ourselves are a very knowledgeable team you know with expertise in how to do these things and we can really lighten your load right and for an sme which is you know quite often owner driven you know he doesn't want to be involved in sorting out logistics and also dealing with his overseas buyers for new ship uh, for new business you know i i always tell my team you know like the ideal scenario is that the client never calls us <laughs> because that means everything is going smooth 
and you know they they never have to call us they never have to speak to us and that's perfect that's what makes them happy and that's when we know we've done a good job mm-hmm. are uh, these sme promoters uh, willing to transact purely online like look at stuff online and see what is the status and you know are, are they willing to do that or do they still need a voice on the other end with whom they can speak yeah i mean they do need a voice uh, but not in the way that uh, you know it becomes a burden so what they are looking for is a little bit of extra assurance and a little bit of problem solving but when it comes to like the actual transaction and you know just the day to day functioning i think uh, it's pretty okay you know they don't mind uh, using the platform because again they recognize all of the benefits that flow from there right so the sme owners are uh, definitely like it's they're absolutely fine with it the challenge comes when you are not dealing with the owner of the company but you are dealing with uh, you know uh, someone more down the line you know because then over there you, then it's no longer about what's best for the company it's about what's best for that individual and that then introduces other complications on how we are going to interact with them maybe that person would have been receiving a kickback previously or stuff like that yeah that is certainly possible uh, the other thing to think about is what is their kpi if they have been incentivized to you know do a b or c right which you know you might go to them and say that look if you pursue a b and c that's a very short term minded approach and you know in the long term you'd rather do x y z you know and, and xyz is better for the company that's just going to be like yeah but i get money for abc <laughs> you know <laughs> so you know that's it yeah. and those additional complications then start um, you know uh, complicating uh, the entire approach Hmm. So, h- how big is uh, this market? Uh, the the market that you are addressing. What is your addressable market size like? Yeah, it's a pretty big market. I mean, you know, uh, India has about three hundred billion dollars worth of three hundred and thirteen billion dollars. If I remember the numbers correctly, two thousand nineteen merchandise exports from India. Right. Um, there's a very simple way to size this market. Right. So let's say there's three hundred and thirteen billion dollars of exports from India. uh i'm sure you would have heard of that uh, stat right that everyone's heard of like logistics is 13% of india's gdp so a simple way to size the market is say that okay forget 13% let's just take 10% let's say logistics is 10% as a percentage of the cargo value right so your 313 billion dollars of exports apply a 10% rule so the logistics spend on exports should be around 31.3 billion now on this you can start doing some further calculations about you know which specific sub segment you want to go after uh, another very common uh, um, stat is that uh, smes make up about you know 50 to 70% of india's uh, logistics so you use that multiplier and then you come to around 15 to around 21 billion dollar sme logistics spend in india on international exports so so that's like essentially the market that we're going after is very sizable Hmm. and what would be your revenue potential from this spend yeah so from this i think you know you just have to uh, subtract from this let's say 21 billion dollars you then just subtract away at least for the moment uh, those extremely small clientele right where i said they you know the ad hoc business and that would be no more than let's say you know 20% the long tail so 21 billion less 20% you're at around 16 billion how much would the freight forwarding agency business be worth like from that perspective 
uh, maybe another 10% on this 10 to 20% okay mm-hmm. so so 10% of this uh, about some 18 20 billion yeah uh, i mean i just did that math but i don't necessarily agree with the calculations and the logic behind it <laughs> um but yeah <laughs> okay and uh so you know uh what is the path for you to become a unicorn like you know what do you see as your roadmap over the next couple of years yeah i mean so we're gonna uh what we have in mind is to ramp up our you know core business uh we are now few years ago we had the uh, intentions of becoming a pan india player which to a large degree we have succeeded in we can now take care of shipments from any part of the country to overseas and vice versa. The path to Unicorn is to basically just ramp up uh, on our current sales focus, then start adding in air freight, warehousing as well, right? So start, uh, you know, eating into more aspects of the overall value chain. And that, uh, you know, all combined should uh, lead to a, a billion dollar business fairly easily. And then post that, I mean, you know, honestly, I think, I guess the, one of the beauties of uh, being involved in international logistics is that we fully recognize that the problems that we have discussed today about, you know, how Indian exporters and importers struggle, uh, they largely hold true for other parts of Asia as well, you know, and I think other parts of Asia also have, I mean, it's not it's not like they also have, you know, like 20 different digital forwarders that are coming up, you know, so there is market share to be seized over there as well. So, you know, some maybe a couple of years down the line, we fully see, uh, you know, the internationalization of this company as a very distinct possibility. And that again, you know, it just adds to the market size, adds to the revenue potential. And Southeast Asia, actually, you know, we may think of them as like smaller countries, but uh, they are much more internationally exposed, much more connected with global supply chains. So, uh, you know, we did some rough back over here. We actually looked into the numbers in a decent amount of detail. I think market size for Southeast Asia, uh, international logistics is about four times the size of India, even though these are theoretically tinier countries, right? No, I mean, Bangladesh would be a good first country to go into, right? Like the physical proximity is there and they also have a large export uh, reliance. Yeah, I mean, there is a a very clear case for uh, entering uh, Bangladesh. You know, they do a lot of uh, exports to the USA, especially textiles. Uh, That's, I guess, what they're known for globally now. Um, So, yeah, I mean, broader South Asia and Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, by when do you think you'll cross 100 million annual revenue 100 million dollars maybe a couple of years maybe 2025 or something like that uh 2024 yeah oh nice amazing uh, you you said that you're at about 100 people today so uh tell me about uh scaling up a team you know like like you uh, obviously uh, prior to this did not have that experience of running such a large organization. So what were the learnings that you got along the way? What were the mistakes you made and what did you learn from them? Yeah, you know, I think uh, primary learning for me was um, uh, the ability to let go um, and, uh, you know, not having to do everything uh, myself, which, you know, a little counterintuitive because you you recognize that scaling a team is important, which, you know, I think we personally, I also recognize that scaling a team was important. But when it came down to like, you know, 
critical decisions or something, I found it very hard to let go, you know. So when I came down to like few very important things, I was always looking to try and do it myself or be heavily involved in it. And then over time, I think this is, like I said, this is my primary learning, right? So the over time I realized that, you know, that's good. I mean, you might be able to perfect that one particular decision, but then if it wasn't as major, if it wasn't like an earth shattering decision, the efficiency loss was actually tremendous. And it actually meant that you could do less things overall. That was like one of the major things, you know, like uh, learning to, to delegate and with that, uh, a second learning uh, related to this, you know, just how to identify a good leader. Because as a company continues to scale, you know, beyond the founders, you need additional leaders as well. And identifying those leaders is, in the logistics industry, fairly challenging. Do you, uh, I mean, you know, there are two schools of thoughts. One says that, uh, you know, that talent is fungible, that you don't need someone from logistics if the person has, for example, good leadership skills. And a lot of startups do that. You know, they would hire people, let's say, from consulting companies because they know these are smart kids, so to say. So so is that your preferred approach or do you place value on experience that uh, experience in the industry is important? So... I'll tell you where we were historically and I'll also admit that, you know, at the moment we are thinking harder and deeper about this problem. But where we were historically was that as a, as a very young company, uh, the only way that we were going to scale up to even where we are today is with people who actually know what the business is. Because it's, remember, it's not a, a simple business. It's not like buying and selling chewing gum, right? It's like you, you get from one place and you sell to the other there is domain expertise required to even do one transaction decently, right? So our preference uh, in the initial phases was always about, you know, get the guy who knows how to do the job because you don't have time to sit and train someone on like the intricacies of international logistics for six months. You know, you may not have that much runway as a company, right? When you're a startup. So you can't afford to take time to scale those guys up. So that's where we were historically. And we took people from the logistics industry. It helped us. They were at least able to take care of day-to-day and allowed the, the founders to focus on, you know, more tactical and strategic decisions rather than day-to-day operations. Though, of course, you know, being a startup, you also do get dragged into day-to-day quite often. So that's where we were historically. Uh, now, in terms of, you know, like uh, fungible leadership talent, I would say that for us as a company, and I don't want to talk about like, you know, make any grand proclamations about what I feel for like all startups all over the place. Uh, I'll, I'll just speak about our company. I think for us, that fungibility of leadership talent is a distinct possibility once there is sufficient amounts of domain expertise already available in the company that can take care of things so that your fungible talent when it comes in is either not taken for a ride you know, by his own juniors um, and also has enough of uh, structure and support to actually be able to execute on the promise and talent that they have. So I think that's where we stand. And, and yeah, as I mentioned to you, uh, where, whereas historically we would uh, mostly take people from the industry, now I think, you know, with these pointers in mind, uh, we are much more flexible. 
okay so okay yeah uh, i want to understand more about uh, who else is there in this digital freight forwarding industry you said you were like one of the first in this market and then subsequently more people came in so what does this market look like today yeah so i mean over time you know there were i, I think maybe five or six entrants into the broader freight forwarding industry now given the level of uh, domain expertise that's required i think what has happened um, uh, almost uh, by default is that each player has found his own niche within this industry you know so you know there's us who's trying to be a digital freight forwarder primarily for exporters then there is the other player who is trying to build uh, the technology stack and a saas offering for the end client you know the importer or the exporter there's another guy who's building a technology stack for the freight forwarding companies you know so everyone has has come in recognizing that the industry is you know in desperate need of uh, you know better or of something better um but then through time uh, you know we've all sort of uh, found these individual niches in which to sit where i think most of the guys in the industry you know wherever they are sitting are pretty much the the only guys in that space uh which goes to show just how you know just how heavy on domain in this uh, expertise this industry is uh that there are only so many players but at the flip side you know it's good for everyone because everyone has their niche and there has freedom to roam and grow and develop in that space mm-hmm. so uh, are you also looking at uh a saas offering because you have built a software which currently is for in house use but that itself could be a product to give out to larger companies i mean we're contemplating um you know how we can uh, further leverage the technology that we've already built out um but we have no concrete agenda just yet but what what is the way you're thinking about it like what are the pros and the cons of it you know uh, one way that we look at this is that uh, if we disperse uh, or or sassify our product if i'm if that's a word i'm not sure if it is <laughs> um but uh, yeah if we sassify our product uh, one way of thinking about it is that you know hey there's a little bit of secret sauce here that we've got you know in terms of how we've uh, automated these internal processes and then you give it out and you know it should come with a, a significant amount of earnings with it and the thing about saas products is we're not very confident that um there is a very large market for a saas solution in in our space you know a specific saas solution for international logistics so that is something we're thinking about but on the flip side uh, you know it does help in uh, you know furthering the the brand recognition and you know potentially expanding the reach so those are the two you know thought processes that we're juggling with right now um with no clear answer of how we are going to you know roll this forward would that uh, additional data give you better decision making capability like if you were to open it out to companies and companies started feeding their data into it would that make your system smarter like better uh, machine learning happening and stuff like that Yes and that would be like you know one of the arguments on the pro side you know you told me that the path to becoming a unicorn is partly by expanding uh, this range of services and partly by going expanding the geography so 
when so you know uh, and uh, let me ask you about both of these so for expanding the range of services are you looking at acquisitions as the path to do that or would you want to organically build it yeah so i mean i think both are definitely on the cards uh, you know depending on the scale and the timing uh, but at the moment uh, we're pretty comfortable doing this organically and you know we're looking at uh, having our first overseas office set up within the next year itself wow you know to start ramping that up which country have you finalized mostly dubai this episode oh, of founder amazing. thesis podcast is brought to you by long haul ventures long haul ventures is the long haul partner for founders and startups that are building for the long haul more about them is at www.longhaulventures.com